Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we are back for yet another episode, and I am joined by a new friend of mine, Jenna Joseph. Jenna, thank you so much for making time for the podcast and for having some interesting conversation today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored, and I love the podcast. I love listening, so it's really exciting to be here with you today. Well, it's fun to have you on uh, for multiple reasons. First of all, I get to know another photographer a little bit better, and we're going to get to do that. I say we, my listeners and I will get to do that together. So we're going to do that here in just a second, but then we're going to also dig into a topic, which is something very much relevant to a theme here at the Boca Podcast, which is about how to create time for ourselves as business owners. Uh, but we're going to go beyond just that today. We're going to talk about how doing just that can also enable us to serve our clients more effectively. Uh, best of both worlds, really. So we'll get to that. It's a pretty deep topic. We'll get to that here in just a second. But let me just start off first. And, and I'm trying to do a better job of this as, as of the last few episodes by just introducing who you are, where you're from. So whereabouts are you based and what type of photography does your business offer? Yeah, I specialize in wedding and engagement photography, and I'm based in the Temecula wine country, which is in Southern California. I also shoot weddings throughout SoCal and often San Diego, sometimes internationally, but love my wine country. It's awesome out here. Oh, my word. Do you ever realize, I mean, I'm, you probably have photographers that will comment on this on Facebook groups or whatever the case, but do you ever realize just how lucky you are to be in that that environment and that weather to have sun all the time. Is that, is that something that has sunk in yet? Oh my gosh. Yes. Without like going on a long tangent, I just, <laughs> I grew, I grew up here and okay. like everyone in this town was like, Oh, we got to get out of Temecula. Everyone moved to Orange County or I went to San Francisco and I traveled a lot. I didn't get to travel until I was 18 and out of the house. And after I got older, moved back, found my husband, stayed, and now we're here. I'm like, wow, it is amazing here. And every time we leave and go to some amazing place and come home, I'm like, oh, I'm back home. Like, I, yeah. I just love it. So I'm really grateful. Well, and you have, I've commented on, about this before on the podcast, but you, you all truly have a different quality of light in that part of the country, too. I, I'm in Tennessee. Chattanooga. And as much as I love it here, when I was photographing weddings, the, the light was, I mean, it, so much of the time was terrible, especially midday. I mean, the midday light here compared to midday light in the area that you're living in is just, it's a different world. And you can, you can leverage that in so many beautiful ways. And, and by the way, for those of you listening in, if you want to see an ex some examples of Jenna's work, all you have to do is just go to Jenna, J-E-N-N-A photo.com. And if you go to Instagram, it's going to be Jenna underscore photo on Instagram. We'll link to both of those in the show notes. But yeah, it, count yourself lucky. And it sounds like you, you already do. But let's talk about your, your photography business's brand position. And this is particularly relevant to our conversation just now, because you are in an area of the country where there are a lot of wedding photographers. How do you go about setting yourself apart from those wedding photographers? What is your photography business's brand position? Yeah, well, 
my, I always tell my clients this or potential clients when I get on the phone with them for the first time. And that's that my mission as a wedding photographer is to create such a comfortable and stress-free experience that authentically joyful imagery is a natural byproduct. So the way I explain that to brides and grooms is I just want you guys to have fun at your wedding. And it's so easy like and common for people to think about weddings as really stressful days, but that impacts your photos so much. It's kind of comes through in photos sometimes, or I mean, as an artist, it's so hard for me to create like in very stressful conditions too. So I'm, I just love setting up that like really enjoyable, stress-free experience. And so I kind of tell them how I do that, but that really sets me apart. And the the ways and the processes and systems that I have on the back end to make it feel more relational and comfortable and easy on the wedding day. So that's kind of, I think, what sets me apart. Well, and I like how you explained the way that you communicate this or get this across to a potential client. I mean, it sounded, I felt like it was on the phone with you as you were explaining it, and it felt very genuine. What are you mentioned? There are different ways that you do this on the back end, and I know this could be a whole different podcast episode. But just very brief, briefly, what is something? Just one thing. If you were to pick something that makes a big difference in enabling you to help the client relax, because it really, it truly does translate to more emotional, uh, more authentic, more authentic, more genuine imagery. What is something that you do that has enabled that? Yeah. So I explain it more in detail to clients, but since we're all photographers here, I can sum it up really quickly. Sure. So. Two big things, relationship building and timelines. So I just make sure I have touch points that I can very just naturally get to know them during touch points in my workflow. And then I build a timeline with them from the moment that they inquire as a sample. So they know way ahead of time, like how much time I need for things. And they're on board with it way before they get timelines from other people. That helps so profoundly. And then I bring a third person with me who isn't shooting and they just make a world of a difference because I'm not running around grabbing grandma or safety pins. Or yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That makes, so, that really does make a big difference when you have to both capture the image and also be a, essentially a wedding, an additional wedding coordinator, trying to get everybody rounded up for the sake of the picture. It really can create some stress and some chaos. So, uh, but when you talk about the timeline and communicating that ahead of time, uh, you're talking specifically about the timeline for photography, correct? Yes, just photography. So I, I stay in my own lane. I try not to get too involved with anything else. Sure. But how do you then collaborate with a wedding coordinator on that timeline after the fact? Is it via email? Or are you sharing Word docs? Like, What does that process look like? Yeah, great question. So everyone, you know, hires their wedding planner at a different point or has a different, sometimes they just have the venue or sometimes they have a full planner. So that kind of looks differently for each couple. I ask them when they are first inquiring with me, if they have a wedding planner. And if that's the case, then I'll immediately get their information when they book with me and send it over and be like, hi, I'm Jenna. I'm going to be working with you. I'm so excited. I want to do a great job for you with timing and stay on time. I know that affects you. So here's an idea of what I talked about with the clients. And we always go over a final details meeting around the two month mark and obviously make updates after they plan the wedding. But this is kind of a rough draft. Does this work for you? And I have gotten raving reviews from planners for it. They're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. <laughs> this is amazing. Really? Just yeah. in the fact that you took that proactive initiative to reach out to them? Yeah. And also like, I want to, I want to work as a team. Like I care so much about the vendors having a good relationship with me and working relationships. So like, how can I support you as a wedding planner? And does this work? And they appreciate that kind of 
initiative, I guess. That's cool. Yeah, that effort at a collabor- collaboration, really, it, it can make all the difference in the world, I think, not just for the client's experience. I mean, you talked about that already, creating a more relaxing environment for the client, but then also for the vendors involved, too. Because I know, and you know, what it's like to go to a wedding and work with whether it's another, you know, video, maybe it's a videographer or coordinator or anybody involved in that wedding, a vendor involved in that wedding that carries a chip on their shoulder, a bit of an ego around and having to kind of work despite that with those people that can be really tough. If you go into it with the air of, hey, I want to help you. I want to work together. I am your friend um, from, from the get go. I'm sure that makes all the difference in the world. Oh, yeah, totally. Especially when you meet them for the first time at the wedding and you've already emailed with them and given them that vibe, like, I'm here to be on the team with you. They're so much more kind from the beginning because they already kind of have a feel for, like, we're not against each other. So it's just really cool. I love working with other people like that, too. It makes all the difference. When people are nice to me and they want to work with me, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is great. Now we can all do a better job for the bride and groom. (laughs) Yeah. That's the goal. Well, it's so true. Yeah. Pro tip, be kind. I mean, believe it or not, as basic as it might seem, it makes all the difference in the world, not only with our clients, but of course, also with the wedding vendors. How many years have you been in business so far, Jenna? Yeah, I started shooting weddings as an assistant in 2006. So I think that, what is that coming up on 13 years? But I, I launched my business in 2009. And then went like legit in 2012. So it's kind of a weird <laughs> question, you know? <laughs> well, but you've been shooting for a while and you've been in business for a while too, which is really cool. What is one of the most important lessons that you've learned so far? And I usually like to, to kind of add in here, if you only had 15 seconds, like if you had a quick elevator ride or you just happened to see somebody in the hallway at a conference and you had to tell them something that you've learned, the most important piece of advice, what would that be? Yeah, Um huge, huge, huge piece of advice. Find a mentor, invest in community, and constantly pour your time and finances into education. Mm. If I had done that sooner, I wouldn't have legit launched in 2012. I would have, it would have gone so much faster. Took me six years to realize that I had a lot to learn and I needed people around me to help. And that made all the difference. And what would you say kept you from doing that sooner? I was really young. I started when I was 17 okay. and, you know, just finding myself. And then also pride. I thought because I was getting all these compliments like, oh, you're such a great photographer. <laughs> just hilarious. You look back on your work and you're like, gosh, what was I thinking? But uh, pride just it, it's like when you're doing really good and continuing to grow, you think like everything's great. And when you realize you have so much to learn and you're just constantly building into that. And even now I'm like, the more I learn, the more I'm like, I have a lot to learn. So humility has really made a big impact on my growth. hundred percent. Yeah, we have to. And and I say this, I raise my hand here too. We have to set ego aside, whatever form of business we run, whatever stage we are in our career, we do, we have to set ego aside. We have to keep an open mind there's always something to learn um, or to at least improve on. And so I think that's a great, great piece of advice. Time. Talk to me about time. I know that you're married and you've got a little one on the way too, correct? Yeah. Crazy. Uh, maybe a month away. No way. Well, that seriously, congratulations. That is exciting. Um, I have a 17 and a 14 year old and 
there, there are parts of me that's like, man, to, to have an opportunity to do that again. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a lot of work, no question, but it's going to be amazing and just soak it up. Um, I'm, I'm very, very happy for you and your husband, but time is a big, big deal when it comes to trying to run a business and then you have a family and of course a little one on the way. Is there something that you do now and that you could maybe even foresee doing in the future there with a new one to create a little bit more space to have time outside of work? Is there something that you do in your day-to-day workflow that helps with that? Yeah. So I could give you like multiple things that help me with this. And a lot of people say schedule your time for yourself first, which I agree with. But since we hear that a lot, I will talk more about learning your limits. I feel like Hmm. for me. And what I notice when I talk with friends is we can easily overbook ourselves. And then even when we do schedule things with other people or for ourselves, it's like impossible because we have deadlines. We just have so much going on. So being constantly aware of anytime I feel like I am just drowning, I think to myself, how could I have scheduled myself differently this month or this week or this year? Hmm. Most of the time, like I can't really see the payoff of that since I'm in the wedding industry for a year because we schedule a year out, but it's really paid off over the years, constantly thinking what, what has been a good number of weddings per month for me or a good number of shoots per week. Now I'm seeing the payoff and it's helping me to commit to my time that I've scheduled for myself and my family. That's really cool, though. And it's such a great point. It reminds me, actually, we've been doing this podcast now for, wow, it's coming up on three years, I think, in August. And, you know, 270 episodes or interviews or so that I've done. But during during that, there have been periods of time, particularly as of late, where I've done a lot of interviews. And we're putting out three episodes a week at the moment. And I I'm became conscientious of the fact that, you know what, if I if I overdo it, um, it's not that I can't handle, you know, two, three or four interviews a week and, and I enjoy it, but it can begin to affect the way that I approach the conversation. You and I had a conversation before I hit the record button here just to kind of break the fourth wall for everyone listening in. Um, as much as I will send an outline to all of our guests that come on the show, the last thing I want is for the conversation to go robotic. And mm-hmm. I very purposely have, have maintained certain questions that I repeat to almost all of our guests. And what I found is when I do too much or I do too many interviews, too many times in a row, too many days in a row and this type of thing, it can actually begin to affect the way that I approach the conversation and it almost starts to become robotic. And I'm like, oh, I I don't want it to happen. I don't want that to happen. I want this to be a genuine conversation, excited to get to know our guests and to connect with them and ultimately to be able to, to share information with our listeners and I, I don't want to affect the vibe of the, the podcast, for lack of a better word. So I understand what you're talking about in, in that context. And certainly, I mean, I shot as many as 30 or 40 weddings a year. That can, that can really eat you alive, too, if mm-hmm. you're not managing your workflow effectively. So I like this, this idea of knowing your limits and creating a cutoff, understanding that you can give your best not only in work, but also to those who are important to you in your, in your life, family, friends, or otherwise, um, is if you create those limits and maintain those limits consistently, this is this is really great. Is this something that you collaborated with your husband on, or was it something ultimately that you were able to kind of figure out for yourself? Mm, my husband, he's an island man. He's pretty hands off and like I trust you, kind of a guy. That's cool. So I have to learn the hard way with just in marriage, like noticing as things build, like oh he, we're kind of like sh- drifting apart or yeah. we need more time together. Yeah. 
And I kind of have to just constantly be checking myself, like self-regulating, I guess. Mm. But, you know, you just are, if you're constantly asking yourself when you're not feeling great about something or if something goes wrong, like how could I have changed something in the past to make this different? I think that's how we learn. And as if we implement those things, I think, you know, it takes time to see results, but it's worth it in the end, I think. Well, you mentioned some things there that caught my attention. Number one, it seems like you both have a sense of independence within the marriage, which is a really cool thing and a topic in and of itself, probably for a whole different podcast on relationships. Mm-hmm. But but in addition to that, a certain amount of self-awareness too, that you're like, oh, you know what? I'm feeling a little bit of a disconnect. I need to make some adjustments in the way that I'm working in order to, to address that. Um, and that, that self-awareness and that, you know, I think if we as a culture really, and I've certainly been guilty of it, we have a tendency these days in an effort to acknowledge our feelings and other people's feelings, we tend to spend a lot of time looking inward. I think that we can take that too far and it gets in the way of just being productive and living life and and serving others, taking care of others. But at the same time, being self-aware, at least to a point, is really important. That takes a little bit of looking inward and, and assessing the way that life is going, the way that our business is going, whether that's you know once a week or once a month or whatever it might be, so that we can give our best, again, not only to our business, but also to the important people in our life. And I love that you do that. So props to you for that. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> I have to say, I heard your, I, I got to sit and listen to you speak on workflow and systems and time management at the RTS Rising Tide Society event. It really impacted, my husband was there too, and it really impacted us both. And I think that that's something that you're so good at. And I hear it come out in everything that you do on the podcast and whatnot. So it's, it's funny how being aware of ourselves and like our, what our needs can help us to serve other people better because we aren't constantly like at an empty cup, I guess. Yeah. It's so, so true. That's really beautifully put. And and how cool that we get to reconnect now on the podcast. That's really great. Yeah. Well, talk to us a little bit about a self-help book or a business book, maybe that you've read or listened to. And, and I've, I've kind of begun to open this up because I've had a couple of responses lately. People are like, you know what? I don't actually read. So maybe it's a podcast or you mentioned mentors earlier. What has been one of the most impactful sources of information, shall we put it broadly, um, that that have has most impacted you? Oh yeah. Well, as far as books go, since you brought that up first, I you know I feel like I a culmination of books have impacted okay. me. But if I had to pick one, how to fr- win friends and influence people? Yes. Um, have you read that one? Absolutely. Yeah, it's wonderful. I feel like it's just really helped me to interact with people better. And I mean, there's such great advice in there. It, I think the title can sound kind of manipulating hmm. and it's like the very opposite of his heart in the yeah. book. It's just like, for example, one of the chapters is talking about like, don't give just pity compliments to people just to be nice. If you're going to say something nice to someone, genuinely tell them, like, instead of saying to a girl, like, you're so pretty, say, gosh, that dress is beautiful. I love the cut of that dress on you. I mean, this is such a girly conversation, but... Well, specificity um, though, I, I, you have such a great point. It, and, and so does he. Ultimately, there, if you just say, hey, how are you doing to somebody and, and make a, you know, a general kind of a cliche question or you make a compliment, you look so great. It's, it has much less impact, particularly these days when we all just throw out the, the kind of expected phrases when we greet someone or interact with them or see them at WPPI or whatever it is mm-hmm. versus being really, really specific. And it's amazing how people will light up 
uh, I worked in the optics industry for years, actually, before I ended up focusing exclusively on photography. And so I, I have this awareness of, of people's glasses. And when I make a comment on people's <laughs> glasses, you know, if I'm at a photography conference or something like that, it's so great how they kind of light up and they're surprised. They're not used to being complimented that way. But yeah. that kind of specificity is a beautiful thing. And that's got to open up so much conversation too, because they're probably like, how do you know about glasses? And then you get to talk about your background and yeah, that's really cool. It, well, and for those of you who are listening in, I, I know that we've talked about this book before on multiple occasions. In fact, I think um, the last three interviews or so, it's come up a couple of times as well. If you've not read this book, um, you've got to get a copy of it. We'll make sure to link to it in the show notes. It's What's interesting, too, about the book is that it was written something like 100 years ago, maybe even more, and yeah. yet these principles are still applicable. And, and so, yeah, definitely check it out. For those of you listening in, we'll link to this in the show notes. If you go to Boca, B-O-K-E-H, podcast.com, uh, all the resources and links from today's episode and uh, show notes, timestamps to go along with the show notes. It's a lot of wonderful detail that Haley puts together there. Check it out at Boca Podcast. Com. Talk to us a little bit about the most unusual item in your camera bag. And this doesn't have to be a lens or camera. What comes to mind when, when you think of that? Yeah, well, when you say unusual, I think probably the most unusual thing I have in my camera bag are boutonniere pins. Um, and it really does help me to be a better photographer. I have like an emergency kit and yeah. probably a lot of things that other photographers have in there. But you know, like I'm a problem solver. So I know you've shot a ton of weddings and do you ever get kind of like, you're always having to adjust the boutonniere because it's falling or I don't know. <laughs> in, in my case, I didn't, I never learned how to actually put a boutonniere on. It was just so ridiculous. If I was a photographer now, that would, that would have to be one of the first things that I'd go and do is how to learn how to effectively put one on. But yeah, it could be nightmarish. Well, yeah. So, I mean, the boutonniere thing just became a problem. It's like we'd go to shoot grooms and boutonnieres and then, you know, the florist would say it's the planner's job to put them on or vice versa or whatever. And I was like, and we would get, we'd have to stop taking pictures to put them on because my philosophy is like the bride spent like a couple hundred dollars on them. I need to put them on before (laughs) portraits. Yeah. So it just like hold up the timeline, which goes against my like, let's have a stress-free day and just keep going. And then when we'd only have one boutonniere pin, that was like the worst because I always say like the best florists give you two boutonniere pins for the boutonnieres because when you only have one, that's why they're always like falling crooked unless you're like a pro boutonniere pinner and we're photographers. So um, I always just keep extra pins in there. And if you have a second boutonniere pin and you can pin like one on the top and one on the bottom behind the lapel, like the little collar of the tuxedo or suit. Yeah. Um, it just makes it super easy and quick. And my second photographers can make sure the boots are on before first look and we don't have to wait for that anymore. And it's really easy. So it's random, but it hel- it's helpful. So, Oh, I'm sure. Well, and the, I can imagine like the amount of time that I've, I've stood around, I mean, ultimately probably still photographing, but that I've stood around waiting for boutonnieres to be penned um, and 10 plus years of shooting weddings uh, is probably pretty ridiculous if you were to add it all up. But little mm-hmm. things like that, that, you know, we're, first of all, awareness again, uh, in this case, awareness of what the client needs. And secondly, preparation for that. 
And then ultimately just wanting to take care of them for the sake of minimizing stress, as you point out, and making their day easier, helping them relax. I think it's really great. And if you have to wait five minutes or 10 minutes for the coordinator to get there or the the florist to get there or somebody else to come in and and pin those on, that's a delay that can potentially add more stress to the day. So uh, it seems like a simple thing, but I think it's a great idea. Keep those extra pins in your bag and and be ready. That's really great advice. Let's talk about boundaries. And, And this is, you know, Again, it's it's a reflection of a theme here at the podcast, which is ultimately how we can go about largely creating boundaries for the sake of having more time in our lives. But I'd love to get your take. And you mentioned, you kind of alluded to the way that you do this briefly earlier. We're going to get into this really deep here. Talk about boundaries and more specifically in the context of ultimately enabling us to serve our clients better. Some photographers might think, well, if I'm creating cutoffs, then it limits my ability to be able to interact with clients. It's going to hurt the experience. I think you would argue otherwise. But let's first of all kind of define what boundaries even means. What does it mean in the context of a photography business? Yeah, well, to to answer that, I feel like just defining boundaries in general is so important because I think it's very relational and we have such relational jobs. So kind of setting that foundation up first, I, I would define boundaries as, uh, for me, the way that I've learned it is just really an expression and protection of our values, our beliefs, our self-care. And when we think about those things in advance, it can result in less burnout and more consistent care for others. And people know what to expect of us and can rely on us. So that really benefits our client experience, I think. Well, and if I, you don't mind me jumping in here, it's, there's something interesting that you pointed out, and I don't know that we've ever approached the conversation this way before when it comes to ultimately having a life as photographers, right? And you pointed out the significance of values, being aware of values. If we don't know what our values are, if we don't ultimately know what we're trying to accomplish with our life and then ultimately our business or, or beyond that, our business, then creating boundaries doesn't even make sense. We don't know where to create a cutoff because we don't have a a kind of a structure within which to create those boundaries, right? Absolutely. I mean, Brene Brown is, I don't know if, I'm sure a lot of people know who Brene Brown is. She's amazing, but she, she talks about boundaries a lot and she defines them as what's okay and what's not okay with me. Mm. And if you don't know what is okay with you and what's not okay with you, then you can't express that to other people Hmm. and set those expectations and boundaries up. And it's a constant learning process. Sometimes we don't realize what's not okay with us or what is okay with us until something happens. And we're like, why do I feel this way? And you kind of have to process it and realize, okay, I need to set like boundaries in my life because this isn't healthy for me. And I didn't know it prior to this experience. So I guess ultimately being clear, I mean, I like the the angle here, which is what am I okay with? What am I not okay with? And of course, this is a re- reflection of what matters to us most, right? And I know I've brought this up a number of times before in the podcast. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Tony Robbins, largely because of the way that he simplified the teaching of certain psychological principles that enable us to be more effective in life. And one of the things, the ideas that he talks about is the significance of values, and values go so deep that they really ultimately have an, kind of an emotional impact on us, right? When we talk about something that actually matters to us, there is an emotional response internally. We get happy or we're sad or we get angry because this thing matters so much to us in one form or another. So we're, we're talking about something that ultimately is a reflection of our values. And mm-hmm. those values should drive the way that we that we 
set goals for our personal life. And then those goals should then ultimately drive the business model that we create and ultimately the way that we then spend our time. So I love the way that you set this up. And when we talk about boundaries, it can mean it can be very subjective. I think you were even kind of alluding to that earlier, but ultimately mm-hmm. what we're talking about is, is a structure which is driven by that which matters most to us that which we are okay with or not okay with, a reflection of our values. And it's good to understand that going into the conversation. So if, if you don't mind just sharing briefly, Jenna, what your, I, I guess just a few ways that you go about creating boundaries in your life so that you can have a life, if you will. Yeah, I love the way that you define that. That was like very well worded. As far as like how I create boundaries in my life, just examples of that. I think going back, I think I should preface it with like maybe one of my values, like you were talking about. One of my really big values is family time. And so Sundays of like a very sacred day with my family and my husband. And so I set up certain things to protect that time with him and my relationship with him. So for example, I have office hours and I clearly communicate that in my email signature. And, but at the same time, people know they're going to hear back from me quickly within my office hours. Hmm. So I can serve them better. I think maybe if I can like give another example on a tangent a little bit. Yeah, please. As far as reliability goes, I I once heard somebody say this example and I can't remember who it was. Um, shout out to my friend Joanna who I've learned so much about how to label my boundaries with and her and I nerd out on Brene Brown all the time and it's really helped me, but it might have been from her. And boundaries can often sound like this bad thing where it's like a no um, or like a separation in a relationship. Yeah. But she, I, somebody once said, it's like a white picket fence around like a beautiful house. Huh. And, and if you think about like a kid playing in a yard and they have a white picket fence around their house, that white picket fence generally keeps out the bad and keeps in the good. And if a kid has a white picket fence to go run around and play in the yard, they're going to feel more free to play as and feel safe and secure Mm. within that. And so in regards to kind of that analogy, I feel like my clients, when they know what that, what that fence is, they, they can feel comfortable and secure to reach out to me and they know when they're going to hear back from me. And as far as office hours go and how to get a hold of me, I often, even though I have these boundaries and like office hours and I have this professional structure going, I often hear from my clients at the end of our working relationship, like, I feel like you were there for me, like so much more than some of my other, the other people that I were, I was working with. Wow. And so boundaries can really help you to create that experience for your clients. So going back to like the ways that I do that, like office hours, streamlining my communication, I, I really try to keep everything in emails just because I know for sure I'm not going to have a client text message slip through the cracks and I'm terrible at texting. Like my friends never hear back from me. Oh, really? Is it just something um, that, that, this is interesting to me because I know that, that some people, that that's just kind of how they, they feel maybe on purpose or just by default with, when it comes to text messaging. But is it something that's just annoying to you? Like to have multiple streams of communication, you'd prefer to go to one place. What is it about texting? I think that it's just knowing my flaws. I can be really forgetful. So my systems help me to not forget the important things. Emails I can mark on red, texts I can't. So, Mm. and also like, you know how 
the struggle between being present in people's lives and like when you're out to lunch, not being on your phone constantly is like something a lot of people try to do, I think. Yeah. And the more that I get better at that, the worse I get with remembering to go back to a text when it comes through when I'm not able to answer it. Mm. Or if I'm at a wedding and I get a text, I always forget whatever text came through when I'm at a wedding because I'm so involved mentally with that wedding. So that's been hard for me. I have figured out a way, a loophole for for that. (laughs) Yeah, I do have clients every now and then who just hate emailing and that's totally fine. And I didn't want to feel... Like I was create, I don't know, I was hard to get a hold of for them or create like stress in their life either. Sure, so sure. Um, Google Voice has allowed me to set up a business line. And yep. every time, if there's a client who really prefers text, I can have one place where client texts come through and client fo- phone calls come through and it sends an alert to my email inbox. So that way... I can, if I get their text on a wedding day, the next day I can see it in my inbox and remember because I keep my inbox tab clear. So that's been like my loophole too. And it's a great loophole, by the way, for those of you listening in, if you've never tried Google Voice out, I mean, I, I'm on a phone, an iPhone. I actually, not very long ago, I tried a Pixel for a while and there were a lot of great things about it. But ultimately the the Apple ecosphere is, is a pretty incredible one. And um, so I went back to it. Uh, but I can kind of have in some ways the best of both worlds with certain Google apps and Google voice has enabled me to have an additional phone number that I can, I mean, if I'm just going up and signing up for a service, for example, I don't want to get all these spam calls. So I use that particular phone number. I'll plug that in. Um, or if I'm giving a phone number out to somebody, you know, maybe who's just an acquaintance or a business contact or something like that. And I don't want to give out my personal cell phone yet, then I can give them that number as well. And it's going to come to my phone, but I can put that just that number on a do not disturb setting. I can, as you were pointing out, Jenna, I can forward that to my email. I can set up the way that that number interacts with my personal number and it doesn't cost a thing. And I've, I've been using it for a while. They, they started transcribing. They did the, the actual voice to text before Apple even did it. So it has multiple benefits, but definitely recommend it. And having that separate line is, is a really great idea. Well, we'll link to Google Voice in the show notes. If you're not familiar with it, at least check it out because it's a great resource. Uh, but Jenny, you yeah. talked about starting with office hours, which is a great one. And, and actually being specific about that, by the way, I'll just also kind of comment on, on this for a second. When, when we have calendars, when we put things in our calendars, I, in my mind, it's a commitment. Mm-hmm. And I, a lot of photographers don't treat it that way. But if you're setting up certain office hours, treat it as law. Like when that thing goes in, the, and I'm not talking to you, Jenna, I'm talking about all of our listeners chiming in mm-hmm. and, and listening to you as an example. This idea of office hours is great kind of theoretically, but if you don't actually follow through with it, it, it doesn't matter. So when you put something in the calendar, including office hours, follow through on it. Make sure that those closest to you understand that when you put that in there, you're committing to it and it's for real and it's going to happen. And it creates a certain amount of accountability, too, that you have to actually follow through on. So I think that's really important. Streamlining communication, i.e., having one inbox ideally is a really great thing to do. I personally use Gmail because email, uh, Gmail itself is so, so quick. I don't have to deal with the lag of dealing of, of Apple's mail software. And Mm -hmm. so I have my email addresses all getting forwarded to the majority of them. Any of the the most significant ones that I, I forward those to my Gmail account and I can write from those email addresses, but they're all coming into one place and enables me to be able to, to engage with that a little bit more efficiently. So I think that's a great idea. What's, what's another thing that you do to create boundaries for yourself? 
I have family days scheduled. I talked about Sundays and usually it's just my Sundays, but those family days are like very protected and, um, it's, you know, they fall on Sundays and I'm in the wedding industry. So that can be hard for a lot of us photographers, even if you're not in the wedding industry, if you, you know, shooting portraits or what have you, cause our clients work Monday through Friday, but that's become a really important day for me. And I don't have to tell people like, if they're like, Oh, are you free on a Sunday? I won't say no, I'm with my family or no, that's my day off. I don't have to get there with them and that kind of communication. I can just say, actually, I don't have that day available, but here are days I do have available. And I send them all of the Saturdays I have open or weeknights. That's, you know, and we used to do this when my kids were younger, we had something that we called fun Sunday and it was, it was, that was the family day. It was the day that, that my kids and speaking of creating expectations, it was the day that my kids knew that computers didn't come open, you know, 99.9% of the time computers didn't come open. That was before phones were as big of a thing. So they knew that work gets set aside and we're going to go out, likely go out and do something fun. We're going to go to the kids museum or go to the aquarium or go do something together. And that was family day. And, And that once that expectation was created, it, it wasn't honestly that difficult to follow through on it. Uh, once they actually, we started with fun Mondays. We went to fun Sundays once they, they got into schools, but that was something that was, that was really neat. It became this tradition for our family. And I think committing to that is a, that's a really, really great idea. That's so cool. I remember you talking about that on one of your podcasts, I think. And I think it was when you were talking about fun Mondays, maybe, yeah. but I was like, that is awesome. It's so fun to look back at the pictures too. I mean, my, my kids, you know, they're both of them actually. My, my son is six foot now, I think. He's 17 and then my, wow. my daughter is 14, but she's five foot 11, um, maybe even closer to six foot now. And um, so, you know, at this stage when they were kind of little high-pitched voices and their bright white blonde hair and um, just all cute and extra happy, it was, uh, it's, it's a different, it was a different stage of life. And there are elements of it, as I pointed out earlier, that I, that I really miss for sure. But there's these just really fun pictures of going out together as a family to go. In Chattanooga, we've got actually one of the biggest, if not the biggest, freshwater aquarium in the country. And so we had a membership and we'd go to the aquarium and it was something fun that we could do over and over and over again and it'd still be enjoyable. Or we'd go to the, the children's museum, you know, go to the park or whatever it might be. But it was something that they could look forward to. It helped us prioritize family by committing to that. And um, it was just a good thing all around. So I think that's a great way to go. So setting up office hours is a great thing. Streamlining communication. There's so many different ways we could do that. It could be a podcast or two in and of itself. Mm, yeah. Family days. Uh, do you have any others that you want to add to that? Yeah, I, this is, can kind of sound off topic, but I feel like it is really all encompassing with this and it's just con- contracts and communication and the contracts that we have with our clients and making sure things are clearly communicated from the very beginning of the relationship mm. helps everything from then on, you know, so it it eliminates a lot of the, you know, when can I get my photos questions and you get a text message and you're like stressed out because you're like, I have so many things to edit. Why are they asking me? I already told them, you know, and can I have the raw files or can you, why can't, why are you posting these photos online or, you know, any of those kind of issues you see pop up on photographer forums and problems and whatnot. I think it's all about like communicating that stuff prior at the very beginning of the relationship and making sure it's clearly communicated and understood. So contracts is one of them, but communicating more, more so through the contract is one way of communicating that and agreeing it 
on it and signing it, but also communicating those things throughout the working relationship. People, I mean, they sign so many contracts when they're getting married for the industry I'm in. They, they probably don't remember everything they read in my contract. So every time I send sneak peeks, I remind them like, Hey, this is when you're going to get your full gallery and stuff like that. But that helps kind of eliminate those stressful questions, I think. hundred <laughs> percent. Well, it all comes back to managing expectations, right? I mean, if you're proactive and communicating with them all along the way, letting them know how this process works, as long as you're consistent in that and, and you're, again, proactive, and I know you use that word a lot here on the podcast, but it's taking the initiative, thinking ahead, thinking big picture and understanding the potential issues that can come up, as you were pointing out, Jenna, and alleviating those possibilities by just from the get-go, clearly and consistently and concisely communicating uh, and making sure they understand how this whole process works. And that is, that's a really, really important element of running, not only running a good business, but ultimately helping minimize stress uh, to your earlier point, Jenna. So that's good. I want to read this, this quote and maybe segue then to my last question to you. This is something that you said to me via email. You said, I think boundaries, and you actually alluded to this earlier, but you said, I think boundaries can sound like a bad word sometimes if we are the kind of people who really want to love and serve our clients. And by the way, I love that you use the word serve. I don't think we use that word enough in, in our culture. I, coming from a conservative background myself, I know that that can have certain connotations. And, and I think that we can set those connotations aside and just focus on the idea that we're taking care of somebody else, focusing mm-hmm. on making them feel good. And I, and I think it's a really positive thing. But back to your quote, you said, I think boundaries can sound like a bad word sometimes if we are the kind of people who really want to love and serve our clients above and beyond their expectations. But I love talking about how this can actually benefit our client experience, create longevity in our business, protect our personal relationships, and benefit our personal and mental health. Um, these are some really, speaking of being clear and concise, really clear and concise benefits of creating boundaries. I wonder if you could just kind of break each of those down briefly for our listeners so that they understand the significance of this notion of creating boundaries. Yeah, I know the personal mental health thing was the last point, but I want to say from the beginning, I'm really excited to dive into that towards the end uh, because it's such a hot topic in our industry. But as we move into that, just as far as benefiting our client experience, I think, you know, we kind of talked about it a little bit today, clarifying expectations Mm -hmm. and increasing that feeling of reliability. But when you, when you set up those expectations with your client, like this is how you can get a hold of me and when you can get a hold of me. And then you follow through with that. And they, they just know like, Oh, if I email Jenna on Saturday, she's probably at a wedding, but I know I'm going to hear back from her on Tuesday because that's the day that she comes back from the weekend. And she's so great about doing that. Or she's, or if they email me and it's different than that, I'm going to have an out of office responder on there. And they're going to be like, Oh, she's out of town until Wednesday. Okay. I'll know when to hear from her or my phone number is there if it's an emergency. So they just, they, they feel more like they know what to expect from me. And I think that really enhances the client experience and trust and just like not worrying about is Jenna going to show up to my wedding because I haven't heard back from her in an email for a week or two. So I think that it just really helps with consistency and trust. Yeah, you know, there's there's something that we probably we don't think about enough as photographers. For those of you who kind of struggle with 
the unknown. I mean, this is something that I've, I still, it's something I have to work, work on internally, kind of setting aside the, the anxiety that I let myself feel sometimes about the unknown, right? It's easy to worry about that. But when it comes to creating the best possible client experience, to our earlier conversation, proactively communicating and man- managing expectations, that can really help alleviate the potential anxiety of, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if, like you said, Jenna, I, I don't know if she's going to be there. And if, yeah. when she does get there, what's going to happen? And then what's going to happen after she shoots that, that wedding? I mean, she's going to go away or the picture is going to still be there. How am I going to see them? When do, I, when do I get to see them the first time? And, you know, the questions can go on and on and on. And they just spent likely thousands of dollars with you. If you're not, for those of you listening, and if you're not taking the time to actually manage those expectations clearly and, and to do so proactively, then then it can really truly affect the client experience. And these days, as a photographer, when there are thousands and ultimately millions of photographers, or shall I say pseudo-photographers or, or you know, prosumer photographers out there, we have to do something to distinguish ourselves from the masses. And one of the easiest and some ways challenging, but ultimately the easiest ways to set ourselves apart from those who are just kind of dabbling in photography is to create a distinct client experience. And we can start with really clearly and and concisely and proactively managing expectations for our clients. So yeah, I can 100% see how this benefits the client experience for sure. Oh yeah, totally. And just going off of what you said, I think as photographers, we're artists, you know, we're right brain, most of us. I know some of us are left brain like me, (laughs) but (laughs) it's just, it's really hard because we are free flowing and flexible and go with the flow. And we want to just like, we want people to feel like we're going to respond as quickly as possible all the time. But then that could cause burnout, which kind of goes into another benefit of boundaries is creating longevity in our business. And I'm such a yes girl. Like I love saying yes to people and I want to say yes all the time and I want to make people happy. So having boundaries and saying no is really, really could be really hard. It's taken me a lot of time to shift my perspective and realize I could say yes more with having boundaries, but it prevents burnout. It really does because we're able to take care of ourselves and able to kind of prevent all of those really tricky situations. I mean, nothing's foolproof. We're not perfect, but it really helps. And when we have those boundaries in place and we can clearly define what's okay and what's not okay and when I can be contacted and when I'm not working and stuff like that, then we can take time away from work maybe for the evening and come back refreshed in the morning or take time away from work for one day a week and come back that next day and be like, I'm ready for another week. And we, we, we're not working 80 hours, you know, eight, seven days a week, right. uh, nonstop until like two years later, we're like, I quit. Cause yep. that happens, yep. you know? Yeah, it's so true. So, and you know, it's interesting too. We talk about Gary Vaynerchuk here on the podcast a lot. Do you follow him at all, Jenna? Love Gary. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> I, well, and, and I've learned so much from him too. He's, he's definitely inspirational. And you know, again, what I love very similar to Tony, what I love about Gary is that um, many would probably say he's so repetitive. He says the same thing all the time and he does. And and you can literally turn off, you know, his podcast or his, his social media accounts for a few weeks or even a few months and then just come back to it later if you want to. He's very consistent in his message. But one of the things that I heard recently that was kind of clarified is as much as he talks about the significance of, of quote, hustling, he also 
prioritizes quite a bit sleep and time with his family on the weekends, getting away from work. And I think actually now more than ever, despite the fact that his company is, has grown so big and is I'm mm-hmm. sure continuing to grow. And um, so we, we can't lose sight of the significance of, and he was talking about the significance of, you know, getting something like uh, between six and eight hours of, of sleep a night. And of course, that's going to vary from person to person what you actually need. But prioritizing rest, prioritizing space, prioritizing doing things that aren't just sitting in front of a computer or running your business, it, it will help make your business sustainable. And that is huge. The next next point you made was the the significance of protecting our personal relationships through boundaries. I know that we've commented on this a little bit, but talk to us a little bit about how this relates to your relationship with your husband, whose name is Justin. Yes. Yeah. Just going back to like, no one's perfect at this stuff and it's a constant learning experience. I think I've, I got to a place I'm, I used to be a workaholic and I think I got to a place where I had to learn this the hard way. Everything in my life came crashing down on me because all I cared about was work. I I cared more than anything about the people in my life, but all that showed was work. Sure. And, you know, the, as much as we can tell our husband or our family members or whoever it is that's important to us in our life, we're all in different seasons. Maybe that's your best friend or your kids or what have you. We can tell them that they're number one in our life all we want, but if we don't show it and all they see is us constantly working yeah. over years, that's it really can be so damaging yeah. to our personal lives. And ultimately, our lives can just fall apart as our relationships fall apart. Mm. So I learned that the hard way, especially in my marriage, and we we had to go through a really hard season and that's what really drove me to protect those relationships that I have. So um, one of the things that I do is like, I I mentioned blocks of time or Sundays. I mentioned that a lot. Um, Something else is we, I never communicate with anyone work related when I'm on a date with my husband. Mm. I have, I, it's really important to me if I see an email pop up on my phone when I'm with him or, um, if I see a phone call come through, what have you, I, I don't respond to that until afterwards. It can wait an hour in my opinion. So, I mean, obviously if there's an emergency, usually people don't call me if the, unless there's an emergency and I don't really have work emergencies. So, yeah, yeah. Um, well, and we create emergencies yeah. in our heads sometimes, right? Like we yeah. make it, make it more significant than it needs to be. I'm, I'm still guilty of this. And I, I'm, it's, it's funny I mean, as much as I talk about this, I, I even just very recently, how easy it is for me to create this thing and build it up in my head just because I'm focusing on it. And the reality is it's probably not the issue that I'm building it up to be. And yet we give it that significance and we're like, oh, I have to answer it or I have to respond. And you, you probably don't. <laughs> oh my gosh. I relate to that so much. So that goes with the anxiety thing. Yeah. It's like... Yeah. Or if something, if you get an email and you're kind of irritated, like, why is this person asking me this? We already, I thought we were on the same page or something. And then you want to like fix it right away. And it's like, okay, take a deep breath, Jenna. Right. This will be, this can wait till morning and still be resolved. You know, hundred percent. Yeah. My, my, that is, that has been a hard lesson for me. And fortunately I have a um, a, a very patient team that I've had the opportunity to work with at Photographers Edit who have kind of st- stuck with me as I've grown up over the last 11 years, despite my tendency to do even d- just that very thing that, that you described, Jenna, which is to very quickly respond to an email in a scenario where emotions might be kind of high, or at least mine might be. 
And it's really not the time to be responding in that moment. So yeah, I, I think this is a good reminder for all of us. These, these things that we make really, really important in the moment, in most cases, I understand there's always exceptions, but in most cases, they can, they can wait. They can wait, especially for the sake of our relationships, whether it's a date or you're sitting having a conversation with your kid or you're spending time with your friend or you know, your mom's in town or whatever it might be, they can wait make time for relationships because you're right. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. And as much as I talk about the significance of relationships and time in the podcast, this is something that is still for me front and center because I do, especially as a single dad, I feel this, this level of responsibility that is quite significant. And you know, the, the amount of time that I need to make sure I'm giving to work in order to, to ultimately not, not just make a living and, and, but ultimately to kind of plan for the long run, if you will, the bigger picture, thinking about the long term. My kids won't be at home much longer, but but uh, I want to make sure that I'm creating a not only a stable and comfortable home for them, but ultimately making sure that I, that I can take care of them very easily and then even provide some of the extra fun things for them. You know, we, we like to usually travel with them um, at one kind of big trip, if you will, a year. And then this year, actually, I'm taking my daughter here very soon to go see Hamilton in Chicago. And then I'm going to take my son out to San Francisco. And so making sure that, that I have the, the wherewithal to be able to, or the means to be able to do these things. But of course, the, the irony is that if we, if we set these big goals and they're ultimately getting in the way of us just being present to have a conversation for 20 minutes, then it's, it, it's kind of defeating the purpose. So finding a good balance in there is really important. And I'm, I'm really glad that you bring that up. Yeah, that's... Uh... You, you're so good at that. I can just tell because it comes out, like I said, in everything you talk about and you talk about your kids a lot and it's really cool and admirable. And I think what you were talking about is like a whole conversation because that's so, it's so hard. It's my constant life struggle is like making goals to enable us to do more things, but not so that it's taking over my life. Yeah. <laughs> I can't hang out with my family. It's so hard. At, at the end of the day, I, I mean, a lot of this comes from personal experience as, as a kid. And um, I wanted to, I mean, honestly, a lot of photographers at it even, that the reason that I started it is tied back to that. But I wanted more time with my family. And and yet, as, as much as I talk about that, it still is a struggle. So to your point again, Jenna, and I think this is such a, a poignant one, if, if we're going to talk about it, let's actually follow through on it. And so, you know, whether it's a calendar, a schedule, or even something as simple as I'm setting my phone aside while we're out together tonight, uh, make sure for those of you listening that you're following through on that and that your word actually means something in that regard and that you're prioritizing that time with the important people in your life. The, the last benefit that you mentioned, Jenna, is the, uh, our personal and mental health, the well, our personal well-being ultimately. And, and I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I, like I said, I feel like, you know, self-care is a big topic right now on, you know, Instagram and in my world anyways, I hear people talking about it a lot. And there's this like quote on Instagram I see every so often, self-care isn't selfish. And I think self-care is so important and self-respect and knowing our self-worth and taking care of ourself and filling up our cup first so that we can fill up other cups. And with that, I also, when I, when I see that, I think self-care isn't selfish. I think it depends because sometimes when we try to go and fill everyone else's cup before we fill our own, and then we're just suffocating and we're desperate and we 
we get the pendulum can swing so much the other way that we just become very like, I need to do this for myself. I need to go on vacation spontaneously for a week and like take care of myself because I'm so empty now. So I think that just taking care of those things on a consistent basis can really, really help us with our mental health and our just personal lives in a way that we we can be more consistent and um, still be filling up other cups. But as far as like mental health goes, that's such a huge conversation as well. And yeah. it's something that's really near and dear to my heart. I had my own struggles and I think that again, just having that time and space to unplug and know that people are aware that I'm going to get back to them the next business day. Mm -hmm. It's really helpful because, you know, those situations, like you said, where we get anxious or maybe we're going through like depression or, you know, a seasonal depression or something's really hitting us in an emotional spot. We don't respond as well to things. And sometimes just taking time away from work, but knowing that we're allowed to, because we've already set those expectations can really help us to just heal or, you know, go for a walk or have, have that flexibility to like pour back into ourselves or take a breather and then come back with a little bit more clarity or what have you. I I think that deep breath was quite poignant considering the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) This is an interesting conversation. Uh, And and I just to kind of be a little bit transparent here, I I struggle with this because I'm I'm torn. I've I've had my own issues. I mean, you know, all the all the kind of hot words out there right now, depression and anxiety and and mental health issues. And I mean, the the list goes on and self-care. You're talking about self-care earlier. This is, I went through actually a very dark spot, a particularly dark spot, um, not long after my ex and I split. This is years ago. And there was a lot of personal growth that needed to happen. And, and yet I didn't really, I didn't, in fact, I went inward and kind of withdrew from the industry. And that affected my business, certainly. And it affected my, uh, my personal life, I guess, in some ways as well. But um, I understand what it's like to be in a dark spot space mentally, emotionally. So I don't want to minimize that. But then I struggled too, Jenna, because there is, you know, we, ha- we haven't made in first world culture. And so I, I see mm-hmm. all of this conversation about taking care of ourselves. And I'm like, yeah, but there are people out there who barely have enough food to eat or water to drink. And, and yet we're on Facebook typing away about self-care. And I know that's kind of an extreme comparison, but I, I think perspective is really important too, especially when it comes to, you know, in fact, we talked about Gary earlier. He, he talks about what drives him. And, and the, the, I think the key component of his drive, he says, is gratitude. And gratitude is driven by perspective. And he talks about his perspective and why he's ultimately so thankful. And I, I do think that there could be, I mean, speaking of balance, there could be maybe a little bit more balance in, in the direction of gratitude, understanding the significance of what we have and letting that drive our mental, emotional health a little bit more. Now, everybody's situation is going to be different. And again, I don't mean to minimize the significance of this issue because I've had my own struggles with it and, and still to an extent working through some of these things. But that's where my struggle lies is I'm like, you know what? I, I understand. I get it because I've, I've experienced it. I've lived it. But simultaneously, I, I know that we've got it made in first world American culture. And there's a part of me that's like, I, I need to 
I need to step beyond this, like feeling sorry for myself or feeling down today because it's cloudy outside or, you know, because I spent an extra three hours working yesterday, I'm a little bit tired and, and I get the significance of, of rest and, and taking time for myself and giving myself some space so that I can function better as a business owner, as a human being. And yet there's part of me that's like, suck it up, get over it, move on. Um, and so I don't know what, I don't know what the balance is. And, and of course, balance is a funny word because it's ultimately subjective. It's going to be different for different people. But what are your thoughts on that? Like where, where is that so-called balance between like we, I mean, seriously, we a full-time photographer for myself running photographers edit and having the freedom to work on the podcast and, and ultimately another company. Now there's I, in some, so many different ways I have it made. And yet I know that I can't overdo it. Or as you said earlier, I will burn out. Um, what do you think the balance is there in perspective? Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. That word balance is hard because like I've heard so many people say that they can't stand that word because it is another buzzword, but I think it's more of just like an honoring both sides. Like how can we honor both sides? And that's not going to look the same in every season of life and seasons of life are going to change and we're going to go through hard things. Like what you went through, was I'm sure one of the hardest things and I've gone through my own. And when we go through seasons like that, I think we have to re- reassess our limits and maybe that means changing our office hours, hmm. honestly, you know, yeah. but as far as like, how can we balance it on a day-to-day basis? I think that goes back to office hours for me because setting those expectations of when people can get a hold of me and when, um, they're probably not going to hear back until the next business day. And if that's a Friday, that means Tuesday morning. Then I know when I have time for my self-care, if I'm having a hard time in life, that I can say, okay, if I just push through for a couple more hours to get this work done and make sure everybody's taken care of up until, for me, it's 6 o'clock is what works for me. And yeah. that can look be different for other people. Then once that 6 o'clock hits, I can be like, I'm going to just go lay in bed because I need to lay in bed and take care of myself. Yeah. And nobody can be upset with me because I set those expectations prior. And sure. I didn't know I was going to be feeling depressed or feeling sick or feeling anxious or whatever is going on in my life. But I have those times for me to take care of myself that are preset. And again, we have to change. We have to change things sometimes. We just have to like... Be like, okay, I'm only working three days a week in this season of my life. So my office hours are now Tuesday through Thursday. And I mean, as a business, you know, I think it just really is so different for different people. It's so subjective and it's really a matter of, you know, or maybe it's bringing on another person in a hard season of life to help us. Yeah, it's a loaded topic. And, and you know, ironically, it's the last thing that we touch on here at the end, and, and we could spend hours talking about it. I, I'm glad that you, you kind of summed it up, though, by saying it, it really is different for everyone. And, and I have to reiterate, I didn't mean to minimize the significance of that topic, because it's a very real thing for me. Um, and I know for, for so many other people out there, but I also, I just, I'll, I'll close by saying, I think it's important to maintain perspective too. Perspective can help us in our mental, emotional well-being. It can make a big, big difference. And I'll just leave that thought. And again, even that will be, look different for different people. Um, speaking of boundaries, I actually, I actually take my son to work here shortly. So we're going to, we're going to finish up our conversation here, but before we do, will you just share both where our listeners can find you, your website and your social media online, just, just so they can ultimately follow what you're doing, Jenna. Yeah, that's awesome about your son. And I can be found on Instagram mostly and is a great place to hang out. It's at Jenna underscore photo and my website's jennaphoto.com. 
Well, so. By the way, your Instagram feed is beautiful. Um, I, it has a consistency to it and yet a variety as well, which is, is quite lovely. But yeah, definitely we'll link to both your Instagram and your website uh, and our show notes for those of you listening in. Again, t- take advantage of the show notes, Boca, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com. And Jenna, I can't thank you enough. This has been a lovely conversation. It was, I, I didn't really feel like we were recording a conversation at times. It's very, very lovely. Thank you so much for making time for the Boca podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And thanks to everyone who has hung out with us today. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Thank you.